and just because I know this might be a little confusing, I'm now controlling it on my iPad. Fantastic. Well, good morning. Um, again, my name, again, if you missed it, Captain Jonathan. Uh, I like to do a couple of things right up front when I'm in a new appointment. I like to let you know just a couple of things. First off, I'm Australian by birth. I'm actually a US citizen now. Uh, woo. Come on, that's the first time that hasn't gotten like a round of applause. I mean, this is... Fourth of July is coming up. Thank you very much. All right, there we go. Second thing, I like responses from congregations. So if, uh, if you ever want to get me out of this pulpit early, respond. I'm talking amens. I'm talking hallelujahs. Like, I'm going to ask you questions, call and answer. If you do nothing, I'm just going to keep going because it means that you haven't learned what I want you to learn yet, right? Uh, third thing... <laughs> Third thing, I tell absolutely ridiculously horrendously bad jokes. If you don't laugh, I will pause and give you a look. That's a little, I'll take that giggle. But the most important thing about the way that I preach, and we'll get into the sermon in just a second, is I'm an exegetical preacher. Uh, what we'll normally do is pick a book of the Bible and we'll start and in verse 1, chapter 1, and we'll just work our way through the entire book. Uh, I believe that it is important for us to have a foundation in our spiritual life on the scriptures and the word of God. I don't, I don't think he would have given it to us if uh, we were meant just to jump all around uh, left, right, center. Uh, that being said, today is just a, a standalone sermon, uh, not in a series. Uh, and I'm also going to go back on what I just said, and then over the next 12 weeks, we're actually going to do a sermon series through the doctrines of the Salvation Army. Every single one is based on a biblical principle. Everyone has a scriptural reference and foundation. And so over the next 12 weeks, uh, we're going to just go through the doctrines, starting in Doctrine 1 and going all the way through to Doctrine 11, uh, just so that you guys know where I stand on every single one of the Salvation Army doctrines. Uh, and then after that, we'll pick a book of the Bible and we'll just go through it. Does that sound good to you guys? Amen. So today's sermon is Life in the Spirit. Uh, and you might have guessed that from the title, but also from the, the scripture reference that was read earlier. Um, oh, the one thing I forgot to mention is I'm a, I'm a walker. I don't like standing still. Um, I don't like pulpits very much. I like to move. And so uh, this is going to be a little bit different until I can get myself a handheld mic. But I think we'll just make it through, all right? Uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so this is Romans 8, chapter 1, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. And when you see the word therefore in Scripture, what you need to do is ask yourself, well, what's it therefore? Does that make sense? And so chapter 8 starts out by saying therefore, and so in order to figure out what chapter 8 means to us and how it applies to us, we actually have to look a little bit at chapter 7. And what chapter 7 does is it talks just a little bit about the, the law of Moses, uh, which is very prevalent uh, to the Apostle Paul who wrote this book. And basically, uh, really specifically, it's about being bound in that law and how the Israelites at the time, uh, the Jewish nation, was bound under this law and its restrictions. And so uh, Paul, if you, if you read in Scripture, chapter 7, uh, about halfway through it, he starts talking about uh, marriage as an example. He uses uh, the example of marriage. And what he says is, if a woman uh, is married and her husband passes away, she is free to remarry, and that's not adultery. 
But if her husband's still alive and she remarries, that's under the law, the biblical definition of adultery. And so he's using this as an example uh, of the way that the law works. Uh, And he's pointing it out for a very specific reason. He's pointing it out so that we can identify sin. Does that make sense? Uh, If you don't know that something is wrong, how do you know not to do it? Right? and so Paul uses, uh, uses this as an example, uh, as a way of identifying sin. So this is what he says. Uh, what shall we say? That the law is sin. By no means. Yet if he had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So what he's saying is if you open up the scriptures and you start reading through the Old Testament, there are laws in there. There are uh, over 600 individual laws governing different aspects of life, spiritual life, physical life, how you do community, how you do family relationships. Uh, and, and the law was very specific in, in certain areas. Um, and some of it, I'm going to admit, looks a little restrictive and a little over the top. Now, if you don't believe me, uh, know that there is a law in the Old Testament that says, for fathers, if you have a rebellious teenager, you're allowed to take that teenager outside of the city gates and stone them to death. Now, how many of you are teenagers? Yeah, how would you like it if your uh, mother or father could be like, you know what, enough. And they just take you outside. And what the the tradition was, it wasn't just traditional stoning. What uh, I found in my research is they would build a giant pit, throw the teenager down, and then roll a boulder over the top. Yeah, mum and dad taking away your Xbox doesn't seem so bad now, does it? (laughs) And so what happens is the law in the Old Testament teaches us how God expects us to behave. We still use the law to identify the behaviors and actions that God desires from us. So a lot of people uh, will, will have this very weird... Uh, sort of mindset that like, well, Jesus came in the New Testament, so everything in the Old Testament is gone, and it's only Jesus, and it's the New Covenant, and yes, Jesus, and yes, New Covenant, covenant but what Jesus said is that not one dot will pass from the, the law, not one cross of a T will ever fade away. The law is still there, and we here at the Salvation Army believe in the full counsel of Scripture, which I'll actually get to next week. And so what you need to know is that we use the law to identify the behaviors and sins uh, you know, in our own selves so that we can more closely follow what God says. In 725, it says this, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Here's what he means. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you instantly stop sinning. Uh, I wish it I really wish it was that way. Like, I, beca- I know Jesus, and then bam, all my anger issues are gone, or bam, all my pride is gone, or bam, all my... Fill in the blank, right? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Now, there are some people uh, that come to mind. Uh, that there's a guy in the Salvation Army history called uh, uh, Brengel who um, had that sort of instant sanctification, that instant... You know, he got saved, and then suddenly, like, he had no desire whatsoever to sin... And if I could go back in time and slap one person, it would probably be him. Because it's difficult for the rest of us, isn't it? Like, uh, so, so what you need to know <coughs> is that for you and I, 
our nature tends towards sin even though we are saved. Our human nature has a bent towards sinful behavior. Um, and so I'm going to get there in just, in just one second. Uh, actually, I'm going to see if I actually... Did I put that in? Oh, yeah, I did. Because this is, this is what, uh, what God's word says. So Psalm 51, uh, 53, verses 1 through 3. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, doing abom- abominable iniquity. There is no one who does good. This is, this is what I find really funny. Uh, a lot of people go, oh, I'm a, I do good stuff. I'm a good person. Well, what I read in scripture, wow, I've got two screens. Oh, I can look over this job. It says there's no one who does good. It says that God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there is any who understand, who seek after God. They have all fallen away together. They have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. If you try and do good on your own, apart from the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, it's no good. Because all, even good acts come from a place of selfishness. God says in the book of Isaiah that your righteous deeds are like filthy rags to him. If they're done apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And because... I want to drive this point home. If you, if you flip back a couple of pages to Psalm 51 verse 5, it says this, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive, uh, conceive me. That means that that sin is in, eight, in every human being from the moment they are conceived, they are sinners. From the moment they are conceived, their natural bent is towards sin. And so what that means is all things being, being equal, if there's an opportunity to sin or an opportunity to follow God's Law, our natural selves are going to bend towards sin. And our saved selves, through the power of the Holy Spirit, are going to bend towards God. Does that make sense? And so what Scripture tells us over and over and over again, and what uh, the Apostle Paul says, is if you are in the flesh, that means if you are a sinner, then you are going to do sinful things and you're going to bend towards sinful activities and behaviors. And so he says, uh, apart from... The, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, apart from my salvation in Jesus Christ alone, I would still be sinning. I could follow the law. I could do everything that I wanted to do. In fact, he says that the law itself, uh, do, do, does that mean that the law is useless or the law is sinful in itself? He says, no, the law is good. It's just that we're such miserable people as humans that we can't follow it properly. He says that the law was perfect in and of itself, but if it wasn't for the sinful nature of man, we wouldn't even be able to, we we can't follow it. There's stuff in in those 600, I think it's 613 laws in the Old Testament. There's some tough stuff in there. Like even, I love Jesus. I've loved Jesus since I was about four years old. Um, I've been in church for a very long time. There's some stuff in the Old Testament that I look at and I go, man, that's difficult. I don't I don't mean to get all down on you in my very first uh, uh, sermon. I know, you know, you're just thinking, oh man, he's just going to be a real drag this entire time. Yes, I am. Welcome to church. Um, if the Old Testament law wasn't difficult enough, Jesus came back and redefined it and actually made it more difficult to follow. Did you know that? So, so the, the Old Testament, let's just use the Ten Commandments as an example. In some places, the Ten Commandments are still on, on walls in courthouses, right? You go in, you see the Ten Commandments. You know, uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of Egypt. Uh, You shall have no other gods before me. Great. I think I can follow that one. Except, I can't really. 
because little things in our life become idols. You know, I, I know a lot of people think, oh, I don't, I'm not an idolater. Like, I, I don't carve statues and I don't bow down to them. Maybe you don't carve them anymore. Maybe you watch them on TV. Maybe you play sports and it becomes an idol. Maybe, maybe you sneak out of church early so you can, I don't know, do something. Instead of giving the time that you promised to God to God. Things become idols. Um, food. I love food. Do you love food? Uh, when we got the phone call that we were pointed to Roswell, New Mexico, the, the first thing that I did, and I'll admit this to you, is I googled barbecue places. Uh, where I came from, Bellingham, Washington, there was no barbecue places in the entire city. It was a three-year nightmare for me. Okay, I love that city. I love that appointment. No barbecue. I love food. Food can become an idol real quick. And I'll warn you this. In the Salvation Army, we love our food. We love our potlucks. And sometimes it can become idolatrous. And so, so when you're looking at the Ten Commandments, you think, oh, man, yeah, I'm not worshipping other gods. I'm not bowing down to them. Um, what I find really interesting about them is, is one of the commandments. Let's use an example. You shall not commit adultery. All right, that one seems really easy to follow, except then Jesus came along a couple thousand years later and said, um, if you look at another person lustfully in your heart, you've already done it. Wait, what? <laughs> then, then, then one of them says, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. And Jesus said, hey, if you've ever called someone stupid, you've already killed them, subjected them to the fires of hell. Like Jesus made it more difficult to follow the law. In fact, he didn't make it more difficult. What he was doing was comparing people's outward behavior with the condition of their heart. And what Jesus said was, your heart has to be in the right condition. And most of you, it's not. And the only way to get your heart is in the right condition, can you guess what it is? The indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Because what Paul says right here is that, uh, 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 he says that, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You can get peace in this life if you set your mind on the spirit. If you set your focus on Jesus. If you set everything in your nature on that of what is recorded in the Bible and given us for instructions on how to live our life. If you focus on Jesus, you can have peace. I don't know about you, but when you look out into this world a little dose, dose of peace might be nice, right? Just a, just a little bit. Look out into the world at the different conflicts that are happening, the different arguments that are happening. If you have social media and Facebook, just look at it. Just You can look at it and know that stuff is wrong. A little bit of peace would be nice. Well, Paul says that peace can be yours if you focus on Jesus. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your salvation. So this is what he says in verse 9. You, however, this is Paul now speaking specifically to Christians. Remember this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And I'm going to take just a little bit of time here to, to tell you something that's really interesting here. Um, anyone that does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Too often in the church, we try and make sinning and lifestyles acceptable and to get people in through the door. 
But what the Bible says very clearly is that if you are not in Christ, you do not belong to him. Amen. And I'm going to give you, and, and uh, hear me out, wait till I get to the end. Some of you might judge me for the way I'm saying this. Uh, if I don't articulate it right, come and, and offend you, that's okay. Um, come and talk to me afterwards and I'll try and explain it more clearly. We've gotten into the habit of calling every single human a child of God. Listen to me. Every human was created by God, but the Bible specifically says that your membership in the family of God, being adopted as a son or daughter in God, is through your faith in Jesus Christ. That's right. Which does not mean that every person is a child of God. Created by God, you have the Imago Dei, which means the image of God on your life. You were created in His image. But until you reach that moment of salvation, you are not a child of God. Okay? That's scriptural. That's what the Bible teaches. And what we do to try and make church more palatable, to try and make it less offensive so more people will come in, is try and water it down and say, yeah, no, we're all children of God. We're all God's children. No, we're not. And for some people, that's a very hard thing to try and get because it sounds like I'm being judgmental. I'm not. You can become a child of God real easy. Believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you will be saved. It's what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians. He makes salvation really, it's not complicated. Like sometimes we try and make the salvation thing a little complicated. You know, you have to do this 10 point prayer where you've got to come down to the altar and say the sinner's prayer. And after that, you need to do this and that. No, that's not anything to do with salvation. Those things can be good things, they can be godly things, but they're not salvation things. Salvation things is really. Very plainly simple. The Apostle Paul was in jail uh, with his buddy Silas. I always imagine them sort of like a buddy cop comedy type routine, Paul and Silas going places. They get beaten, they get whipped, they get uh, stripped naked, thrown in jail. They decide they're going to have an impromptu praise and worship session. They're singing hymns, praying, having a good time. God sends an earthquake, pops open the doors, uh, and the jailer takes out a sword and is about to kill himself. Seems a little weird. Let me back up and explain under Roman law, if you're a guard and one of your prisoners escape, the sentence for the guard is execution. So all the gates to the, the jails pop open. There's like 10, 15 doors open. He's thinking, if they're going to kill me for one escaped prisoner, what are they going to do to me for 15? Like, there's going to be some torture here, right? There's going to be some... So he takes out his sword about to kill himself, and Paul pops his head out. I imagine sort of like... A, I imagine Paul a little comedic. Is that wrong? Is that blasphemous? I don't know. I just imagine. I sort of imagine Paul popping his head out. Wait, 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 wait up, wait up. We're all here. Don't do it. And Paul says that all the prisoners are still in the prison. And the guard says, what's going on here? And Paul explains the gospel to him. And, and the guard asks him a very, what seems on the outside like a complicated question, but it's really not. What must I do to be saved? And Paul replied, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and go to church and tithe 10% and make sure you sing a song out of the Red Songbook every single week and make sure that you do an altar call that lasts at least 15 minutes so that everyone has the opportunity. And if not everyone has come to the altar, make sure the band plays the song again so that everyone can come to the altar. And Am I hitting home here? What is it? Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Sometimes we make salvation complicated. It doesn't need to be. But... And I'm sorry about you watching the clock. None of that was in my sermon notes. Anyone does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same power that created the world, who spoke everything that is in existence into existence, dwells in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to you as a believer in Christ. Isn't that amazing? That when God said, let there be light and there was light, the breath that God spoke dwells in you. That's just fantastic. I don't know, sometimes I think we, we, we develop this habit as Christians that sometimes we get to these passages and we've read them so often or they're on bumper stickers or they're, they're on t-shirts and coffee mugs. We get to this point where it's like, ah, well, you know, the Spirit of God dwells in us. Yeah, that's a, we sing enough songs about it, it's great. But sometimes the reality of that statement, that the all-powerful God of the universe, the preserver and governor of all things, his spirit dwells in us if we believe. Your body is dead because of sin, but your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And the righteousness, and this is, this is where I'm going to close this morning, the righteousness is not yours. It's the righteousness of Christ. The book of Corinthians says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's not our righteousness. It's God's. It was imparted to us when Christ died on the cross. Martin Luther, the reformer, called it the great exchange. That God took everything that was bad in us and put it on Christ. And everything that was good in Christ was imparted to us. That you and I have no ability under our own power to do anything that is close to righteousness. Again, Isaiah says that your righteous acts are like filthy rags. But what we read here in Scripture is because of the power of the Holy Spirit through our faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is then imparted to us so that you and I can do things through his power, in his name, and listen, for his glory. In the Reformation, they had a couple of slogans and catchphrases. One of them is sola deo gloria, means for the glory of God alone. And too often, and I'm not saying I don't know any of you well enough, not nearly well enough to know whether or not this is you or not, but a lot of times we do stuff because we want the glory for ourselves. I want to be on the praise and worship team because then people will see me. I want to be the person who reads scripture because then people will see me or the person who collects the offering because people will see me or I want... And we do it for our glory rather than the glory of God. And I believe firmly above everything else that everything that we should do should be the end result of glorifying God. Amen. Amen? There can be other results of that. You can glorify God and have that as the primary focus but have other things happen because of it. You can have other good things happen because of it but that primary focus needs to be the glorification of the name of God. Because when we lift God up, more people are drawn to him. And when more people are drawn to him, more people are saved. And if you know the reality of a biblical hell, which we'll get to in exactly 12 weeks, because that's about where I am. I take 12 weeks to preach through the doctrines. Even though there's 11 of them, I take 12 weeks. You can figure out which ones take extra weeks. But when you get there and understand the reality of hell, it means that real people are really going to a real place.
your belief of hell, why would you want anyone to go there? Which means when we go from this place and we go out into our community and the gospel of Christ shines through us to the glorification of his name, more people are drawn to Christ so that less people go to hell. Scripture says that the desire of God's heart is that no one should perish. But he's not going to override our free will to make it happen. He's going to give us the choice, which means we need to go out into our communities. Wherever you are, whether it's your workplace, whether it's your school, whether it's your job, it doesn't matter where you are, but the glory of Christ needs to shine through you so that people can be attracted, so that people can be saved, so that people don't go to hell. Amen? Now, I'm going to confess up front. I am terrible at altar calls. They never feel right to me. I, I don't like doing them in my... Does that make sense? Yeah. But listen, I honest, honestly believe that everyone should have a chance to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I just want to take a couple of moments to pray. I'm not going to draw it out and make it long. I just simply want everyone to close your eyes. And I want to pray. And if you don't know Jesus, I want you to use this prayer as a chance to accept him into your life. If you don't know Jesus, but you need to know more about him, I invite you to find me after the service. Come on and and talk. There are other people here that that know about Jesus, who know him intimately and have a relationship with him. Find someone, just talk to him about him. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the opportunity you've given us to come into your presence and to learn more about you. I pray, Lord God, that with every head bowed and every eyes closed, that if there is anyone that does not know you, Lord, that they seek you now. Lord, I pray that the provenient grace of the Holy Spirit, the grace that goes before our salvation, is at work in the hearts of those who are not saved. That that grace goes through and convicts people of their sin so that they can seek after you and seek your face. Lord, I pray for our congregation here that you can build us up in faith, that we can love you more and love you better, that you can be with us to give us the words to say when we have those conversations with friends and family members and co-workers and the person at Starbucks and the person at the grocery store when they ask, oh yeah, what do you do on Sundays? And we say, we go to church at the Salvation Army and we love Jesus. Lord, I pray that for each one of us, the glorification of your name becomes the primary purpose of our lives so that more people can be drawn to you, to know you, and to love you. And we pray all these things in your son's precious name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. I'm going to invite...